everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I wanted to talk about a special offer from our friends at Belay. Now, as we all know, today's work environment is substantially different than it was just a few years ago. And with more organizations moving toward hybrid workforces, it is critical to know how to lead our teams well, whether they are working remotely or just down the hall, and this has been a challenge for all of us, right? One thing we've all learned is that productivity can soar even for the hybrid workplace, but the key is for us as leaders to learn how to equip our teams to maximize productivity and results while maintaining collaboration within the team, which is not an easy thing to do. But thankfully, our friends at Belay understand this. Now, Belay is an incredible 100% remote organization whose virtual assistant bookkeeping and social media manager services are revolutionized productivity for growing organizations everywhere. And right now they are offering their resource, Lead Anyone From Anywhere, to all of our podcast listeners for free. Now, in this ebook, you'll learn the four critical skills necessary to lead a hybrid team well, as well as many other helpful practices for the remote workplace. All you need to do is just text the word Andy to 55123 for your free copy today. That's Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. One, two, three. Leading a successful hybrid workforce is possible and it starts with Belay. And now let's jump into today's podcast episode. I'm so excited this month because Patrick Lencioni is back in the studio with us this time live because the last time. First time ever. First time. Oh, that's right. First time ever. The last times we've spoken, it's been um, over Zoom or over some other technology. So. Welcome to the actual studio, Pat. It is great to be here. This is a blast. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about something I can't believe we've never talked about before because you are the expert in this field, and that is organizational health. So, Pat, if our listeners are anything like me, most of them have read most of or all your books. But for those who are not familiar with Pat Lencioni, he is one of the founders of The Table Group. He's a pioneer in the area of organizational health. In fact, he has really pioneered the organizational health movement. He's the author of 12 books, sold over 7 million copies. And those books include his latest book, The Six Types of Working Genius, and as Pat and I have discussed offline, that book is, um, it's, well, like all of his books, they, they just make our way through our entire organization. I tell people all the time that you've mentored me from afar, and you've mentored our entire organization through your books. Um, as the president of Table Group, Pat spends most of his time speaking and writing about leadership, teamwork, and organizational health, and consulting with executives and their teams. And Pat, as you know, we have several of your associates who are part of one of our churches, and so I get to know about you from afar and close up. And so thanks for doing this with us. Yeah, I feel like a relative of the organization, (laughs) like a cousin, because I have people that work for me that have worked here and a lot of our consultants go to church here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I promise we didn't poach them, but there's something going on in this wonderful organization and ours that's symbiotic. Is that the right word? But I I really feel a part of the place. And that's that's so exciting to be here. Well, as I told a group this morning, the first time I met you, I immediately liked you. You're very down to earth. It's what you see is what you get. You're the same person everywhere you go, and you know that makes for uh, that makes for organizational health and relational health. So, yes. anyway, enough about us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think about us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, as I said a minute ago, Pat, we've never.
never really talked, which is so strange, specifically about what you're best known for, which is organizational health. Um, you're credited with coining the idea of organizational health, which is amazing. So I'm glad you're back to unpack this idea for our organization. Now, you you say, and this is, this is going to be our, I guess, our talking points for these two episodes back to back, which I'm so grateful that you're willing to do two of these. You talk about the four disciplines of healthy organizations, the four disciplines of healthy organizations. And, you know, right now everybody's talking about pivoting. We're trying to predict the future. We're coming out of COVID. We're on the front end potentially of a recession. So, you know, everybody's focused on those things and you continue to beat the drum about organizational health. Why is why is that? And isn't it, especially in this particular climate, isn't that more of a nice to have than something that's really critical to organizational success? Yeah, a lot of people think that. And I think it gets back to the idea that so many people in business or in organizational life, could be a church, could be a school, could be a business, they think that organizational intelligence is what's important, like being smart. Mm-hmm. And this schools think this, business magazines think this, and we're taught that the smartest organizations succeed. And smart things are like, you have to know strategy, and and like right now, it's a recession coming, what are you going to do, what are you going to buy, what are you going to sell? And, and they think it's about marketing and technology and all those things, which are all really important and interesting, but the real competitive advantage in a world where everybody's pretty darn smart. Yep. I mean, in my lifetime, the the internet's been around in my business life. Pretty much everybody knows enough to be successful. I've never worked with a leader or a leadership team, Andy, where they were just too dumb. I've never thought, man, these people are dumb. (laughs) Everybody knows enough. But so many organizations are unhealthy. They're dysfunctional. There's politics. There's there's confusion. There's infighting. There's turnover among good people that don't want to be there anymore. That's really the competitive advantage. But darn it if so many leaders find that to be hard to measure mm-hmm. and they find it a little they, – they think it's going to be touchy-feely. It's not. Yeah. Well, it is soft and it is intangible, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Exactly. So anybody listening to this, I doubt they would disagree. So why doesn't everybody embrace this and why don't we prioritize it? Especially in a crisis, it goes to the back burner. It's off the radar in, in no time. And yet it's absolutely true. And yet – The healthiest organizations are the most resilient ones. And I think about Southwest Airlines. They have weathered more storms. And, you know, they're in the middle of a storm right now. The airline industry is, and they're dealing with things right now. But years ago, I've been working with them for years. I was at a conference with all their leaders, and I was sitting next to Gary Kelly. I got to speak there, and then I got to listen. And all these presentations, that place is wonderful. It's like here, you know, behind the scenes, it's better than what you've heard. And... I leaned over to Gary at one point. I was just amazed at these junior leaders who were just extraordinary people, the culture of that organization. I said, Gary, and it was a rhetorical question, but I said, why why don't your competitors do this? Mm. And I wasn't looking for an answer. I was more amazed by that. And he thought about it and he listened and he leaned over and he said, Pat, you know, honestly, I think they think it's beneath them. Oh, wow. And there's an organizational humility that says, we just got to do the simple things really well. And backstage at Southwest Airlines, what you'll notice is that people are really humble. They don't think they're smarter than the rest of the world. They just do the simple things well. And that's what makes them different. And here I'm in Atlanta, Chick-fil-A is like that too. And it's like, but the world wants to think you got to be smarter, more sophisticated. Like, okay, what are we going to do to trick the recession and to to (laughs) figure this out? It's like, I tell you what. Make your family stronger, your employees, your your leadership team. Make them more cohesive. Simplify things and just make it a strong culture, and you will weather storms. 
that other organizations won't. Well, let's get specific. That's a great tease and a great commercial for the idea, right? So, you know, people on the other side of our microphones are like, okay, got it, got it, got it. What, what, what do I do? So let's talk about the four disciplines of a healthy organization. The first discipline of a healthy organization is? It's to make your leadership team more cohesive. And the key word there is cohesive. Cohesive. So talk a little bit about that. So a cohesive leadership team is one that that is tight. It doesn't mean they agree on everything. In fact, they learn to disagree. And, there, and there's five dysfunctions yeah. that you have to overcome to make a team cohesive. And most people, or I say most people, many people have read your book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Right. But these are basically the enemies of a cohesive leadership team. Yes. So let's talk about those real quick. Can you just, for the, Absolutely. you know, for the half dozen people out there who have not read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, would you, just, <laughs> would you review those for us quickly? And as I said earlier, really, the way you write and the approach you have to writing makes the books so digestible and practical. And I remember taking our leadership team through The Five Dysfunctions of a team and parts of it were encouraging and parts of it were a wake-up call yeah. because the enemy of a cohesive leadership team is everything. Everything is an enemy of a cohesive leadership yes. team. We're all busy. We all have families. We all have our different personalities and goals and agendas. So let's review those real quick. Again, under the, the banner of the first discipline of the four disciplines of a healthy organization is a cohesive leadership team, the enemies of which are the five dysfunctions of a team. That's Re right. Review those for And they're very time. straightforward, but they're very real. And the first one is the absence of trust. If people on a leadership team don't have what we call vulnerability-based trust, not trust like, well, I've known you for years, so I can predict your behavior. I can trust what you will do. I'm talking about the kind that says I'm humble enough and vulnerable enough to admit when I'm wrong, mm. to acknowledge when I don't know something, to, to admit when I make a mistake, or to even apologize or celebrate your ideas that are better than mine. When people can be that emotionally buck naked, as we say, mm. totally real with each other, that's the kind of trust that is a foundation for for everything, for the cohesive team and the rest of the organization. But without that vulnerability, it isn't going to be there. Now, this is a little bit of a different topic, but the thing that immediately comes to mind, and I remember us talking about this when we, believe it or not, when we first went through the book or went through the five dysfunctions, because that kind of trust requires personal security that you either bring with you into the room or you don't. And if you don't have it, you know, a, a thread of insecurity, regardless of where it comes from, it comes out in those moments. It's very difficult to trust, and it's um, sometimes that makes it difficult to be trustworthy because you're yeah. you're guarded. This is not an easy problem to solve. But when somebody brings that to the table, sometimes it's the elephant in the room. People find themselves working around somebody's specific insecurity. What? Right. Any comments or any thoughts well, I, on that? Well, I've never thought about it like this, but it's a great question. I love talking. I love these kind of conversations, Andy. I think there's three kinds of people in the world. There's people that are so secure that they come into those meetings and they're like, this is easy. Right. And then on the other end of the scale, there's people that come into the room and they're like, listen, I'm never going to be vulnerable because I have such wounds that I have not yep. dealt with. Yep. And that's a problem. But most people aren't readily willing to do it. But once they see the leader do it, see, the leader has to be secure enough to be vulnerable. Then they'll go, okay, I can try to. And what they find is the process of being vulnerable is very liberating. So th it's not like they come into it looking forward to it. <laughs> we do these exercises with teams, and it's a little scary. And then they go, oh, my gosh, you mean I can be vulnerable, and it, it can it can make things better for them and for me. Yep. And then it becomes – we find people that say, I'm more vulnerable at work, and I'm bringing this to my home. 
because I didn't grow up in a family that did that. Yep. So we model things for them in that way. So you're exactly right. Not everybody is secure enough to do it, but you can baby steps lead them into that process. We've seen teams in a day and a half go from like, oh, this seems, feels a little risky. And then start thinking, that wasn't risky at all. It really edified me. And by the end of two days, they're like, wow, I feel like I'm close to these people. And the leader has to set the pace for that. Has to. And in some cases, and we, our team talked about this, create an environment where the leader keeps the people who have a tendency to shut other people down from shutting other people down. Because some people only need to be shut down one time and they're done. Oh, yeah. Because they took, they took such a massive risk to step out in the first place. Right. One of the most important things I do when I facilitate is I make it safe for people to do that, which means you keep it real. Yep. And, and you don't go super, super, super deep right away. You kind of peel the onion back over time. So the first dysfunction that mitigates against organizational health is absence of trust. The second one, second dysfunction. Well, and trust is required for the one, this one to be overcome. And I love talking about this, especially in churches, but in any kind of organization, and that's the fear of conflict. The fear of conflict is a dysfunction because if we don't engage in conflict— we cannot possibly make good decisions and shepherd our organizations well. But that requires vulnerability-based trust. Right. Because if you and I don't trust each other, Andy, and we're on a team, why in the world would we engage in unfiltered conflict? Because we could actually hurt one another doing that. Yeah. But if I know that if I convince you you're wrong or vice versa, that one of us will admit it, or if I if I get to be overbearing and and I can apologize and we can forgive one another, then, then that's a good thing. Conflict requires trust. But to trust one another and then not engage in conflict is a waste. Yep. But so many organizations, especially in our society today, churches in particular, but most of them think that avoiding conflict and discomfort is the goal. And then at the end of the day, they're, why did we make a bad decision? Well, you didn't feel comfortable arguing with each other. Well, yeah, you didn't get all the information out on the table, all the objections out on the table. And we can't make great decisions with partial information. Right. And sometimes bringing information to the table creates conflict because it bumps up against sometimes the direction the whole team is already moving in. Then it's like, oh, well, I, you know, right. now we're going backwards. You, you said at one point or you wrote at one point, conflict with trust is the pursuit of truth. Conflict yes. with trust is the pursuit of truth. And no one would argue with, hey, we need to pursue truth or not even philosophical truth, but the, the best decision. And oftentimes there's no way to get there without conflict. But some people, um, I tend to be comfortable with it. Some people are extraordinarily uncomfortable with it and, and avoid conflict to the point of, of avoiding making a decision at all or the right decision. And once again, the, in a leadership team, trying to create an environment that draws all that out. It's necessary, right? Yeah, and not everybody does it the same way. Your family background might be different than mine. There's ethnicity. There's there's yep. there's culture. There's where you came from. And th that's why you have to be vulnerable enough to go. People will say to me, I'm Italian and Irish, and, and they'll go, you got the face, Pat. And I'll be like, what do you mean? And they go, I get this face. I'm mildly annoyed, and my face looks like I'm extremely annoyed. Yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> and so they have to say, you look like you're wanting to kill me. Oh, I'm so now sorry. That's his resting face. That's, exactly. That's his relaxed face. We will jump right back into my conversation in just a moment. As I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, our sponsor, Belay, is offering a free download of their latest book, Lead Anyone, Anywhere. And with this ebook, you'll learn four critical skills necessary to lead a hybrid team. All you need to do is text Andy to 55123 for your free copy today. That's Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. Again, that's Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. Leading a successful hybrid workforce is possible, and it starts with Belay. 
That brings us to the third dysfunction. And again, for our leaders, we're talking about the four disciplines of a healthy organization and that we're really just diving deep into the first one. And that is, um, you write, a lack of commitment is the third dysfunction, but you don't get commitment without conflict. Yeah, so talk a little bit about those relationships. They're all built upon one another. Yeah. You need trust in order to engage in good conflict. That conflict allows people to commit. And what I mean by that is this. If a, if a group of people have to make a, a relatively difficult decision, the chances that they're going to have um, agreement right away, consensus, yeah. is very low. Yep. And, I mean, if you do, thank God we move on. Well, if you get it too quick, I'm suspicious. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, wait, 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 that was too easy. I don't think everybody is saying what's on their mind. Right. Well, some of our volunteer leadership teams, our board meeting, for example, our stewardship team, sometimes when our, our CFO is presenting the financials, and, you know, we'll cover something that I feel like is a big bump. Like if I were them, I would be like, hey, what's going on there? And we pass over it and no one says anything. I'm often the one, even though, you know, Rick and I have gone over these before the meeting. I'm the one that says, you know what, and guys, that kind of bothers me. Like, does that bother any, you know, are you paying attention? I wasn't, you know, somebody needs to be bothered by this. That's what's called mining for conflict. And every leader has to do it. If there's any thought that they have that something hasn't been said, it is actually the job of the leader to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to know. Yeah. This is the time. Yeah. Because we cannot get to real. And we can't have the meeting after the meeting. Exactly. And <laughs> we, we know how often it. that happens. Oh, all the time. And it's the yeah. person that oftentimes that either isn't comfortable or is a little bit passive aggressive or thinks that these are a bunch of idiots. I'll get him after the meeting and we'll fix this. And so unhealthy, so unhealthy. Well, and they think, and this is what happens in churches. It's like, it would be mean for me to question her in the middle of the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I won't say anything, but I'll talk about her with my buddies in the parking lot. Yeah. And it's and not there's actually a mean. verse about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yet in our society today, people are said, no, just never, never disagree with somebody directly. And that's not love. And it doesn't serve the organization. It doesn't serve that person. Right. And it prevents us from getting commitment. See, what we like to say is people have to weigh in in order to buy in. Hmm. So if you're on a team and you're making a decision, conflict is weighing in. That's necessary in order to buy in. But a lot of people go, oh, so everybody has to get their way. And it's like, no, no, nope. it's the opposite. Right. You ha they have to know that their way was heard and considered. Most human beings that are reasonable don't care if they get their way. As long as somebody listened to what they had to say, factored it in, and they can see how the sausage got made, they can go, okay, I can support that. I get that. But if they were never asked or they never felt comfortable putting their ideas out there, even if the decision is a pretty good one, they're not going to really buy into that. And that lack of buy-in is a huge problem. It's possible to disagree and yet commit, as that phrase goes. I, yes. I can't remember who. Intel was, was the company. Was it did. disagree and commit? Yes. They yeah. would say, we'd rather have you go into a meeting and yell at each other. And they would literally teach each other how to be kind of tough. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the meeting, go out arm in arm and go, hey. And that, that's great in a church, too. Yep. You go in and you say, I think we should have this person speak this week, or I think we should invest in that program. I can't believe you think that. Okay, now that we've all spoken our piece, we love each other. Andy, help us break this tie. You break the tie and they walk out arm in arm and they go, hey, that was a great discussion we had. But what they do is they go and nobody really speaks up. Then the, the leader makes a decision. They don't know if they hurt everybody, people. And you know what they do, Andy, when they leave? They go alligator arm things. You know, they, they go out there and they don't really reach out and help one another. Or they passively commit in the meeting and smile and nod. They go back to their team and they say, I don't think this is a very good idea. Yeah, and then when it doesn't work, I knew it. 
I didn't say exactly. anything, but yeah, I knew it the whole time. Well, this leads us to the um, fourth dysfunction. This is a tough one for me because my follow through is terrible. The fourth dysfunction is lack of accountability. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is mine too. It In is? fact, it is the biggest challenge for mm -hmm. many leaders and teams, and that is holding one another accountable. So the best form of accountability is not the leader doing it, but the leader must do it in order to create this, and that is peer accountability. So you walk out of a meeting and you get real commitment. That's why commitment is so important. And then one person notices somebody else on the team, one of their peers, not doing what they agreed to do or not doing it well enough. Now, on a great team, they will go to one another and they will say, hey, it's like the apostles going, hey, I love iron sharpens iron here. I'm gonna, I got to call you on this, buddy, yep. for your benefit. But if the leader doesn't hold people accountable, then peers aren't going to do it. Because yeah. why should I do the dirty work when, in fact, he or she, the leader, is probably going to let you off the hook? Yeah. I struggle with this because I like people to like me. And I, and I think that, well, we argued about it. We made the decision. I shouldn't have to do anything more than that. And, and the, the problem with that is I used to justify that saying, well, I care about the people I work with, so I don't want to make them feel bad by holding them accountable. And it was really selfish. And at the end of the day, the healthier the organization is, everybody benefits. When there's a lack of health in the organization because we won't hold people accountable, everybody suffers. Yeah. Yeah. And then people start working around other people. So then the last dysfunction. But I want to say one more thing yeah, about yeah, that yeah. last one, though, Andy, because so many leaders will hear that and go, I hold people accountable. Yeah. But I meet CEOs that are have a, a really tough exterior. You know, they're kind of gruff and they're like, oh, I hold people accountable all the time. And I'll be really, why do you say that? He goes, because I fire people. I fired a guy last week. Pick somebody, I'll prove it to you by firing them right now. And the, But the question I always ask is, so do you have really hard conversations with them before you fire them? Well, no, 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 I don't have time for Because that. if you have hard conversations, you don't have to fire people exactly. generally. It's, it's the lack of hard conversations and then suddenly, you know, they've crossed the line they didn't even know was there. And yeah. So when you don't tell somebody your performance has to improve or your behavior has to improve, and I really need you to do this, that's cruelty because then you're going to let them go and they're going to go, that, that's a surprise to me. Yeah. Yeah, no one should be surprised. Nope. So the uh, fifth dysfunction is being inattentive to results. Right. And, and you're talking about negative and positive or? This is a nuanced one. It's really important because I find that most people will say, well, we care about results at our company. And I'm saying, is, are they your results or are they the collective results of the team? Hmm. Because most executives I know care, but they're like, well, my department or my team and or that's my enough. area. Yeah, we're right. winning. Right. That's a golf team. Yeah not a basketball team. Mm. But the truth is, if, if you're really a team, it's interdependent and there's only one score. It'd be like at this church here. I mean, uh, this it's amazing. It's like, well, youth ministry is doing well, but everything else is suffering. It's like, no, no, no. When you come here, you have a North Point hat on. And if you see something in another area, it might not be, be your area of yeah. responsibility, but it's up to you yeah. to love this place enough to call that out. But so many organizations, people will say, it's not my job to hold them accountable. And that's when teams fall apart. So the inattention to results, it has to be the collective results of the team. So the head of marketing has to care about it all. The head of sales has to care about it all. The head of engineering has to care about it all. But when they start redefining success as their own silo, then everything falls apart. In our next conversation, we're going to come back to the importance of organizational behaviors. But this reminds me, one of our organizational behaviors is make it better. And when we teach that, we say, we're not just asking you to make what you do better. We want you to make the entire organization better. So, and then one of our other behaviors is collaborate. So part of collaboration and make it better is when I see something kind of flagging in your area, I'm not going to retreat to my silo to say, yeah, but we're killing it. In fact, the fact that they're failing makes me feel even better about our success. Right. No. 
You have to make it better. You have to collaborate. And then one of our other behaviors is take it personally. I love that. But again, it's it's for the health of the organization. But we'll we'll come back to some of those things. So I want to get us back on track for those for everybody who's listening and taking notes, or hopefully if you're driving, you're just listening carefully. <laughs> We're talking about healthy organizations, and you've written and talked about the fact there are four disciplines. And a discipline means it's constant. It's not yes. a checklist. It's it becomes part of the culture. The first one being build a cohesive leadership team. And the way we do that, um, there's some proactive things, but the reactive things is to guard against these five dysfunctions and understanding those five and sort of having them ingrained in our mind when we begin bumping up against those guardrails, we generally know it and we respond. So fortunately or unfortunately, we're actually out of time, Pat. We're going to talk <laughs> about the four disciplines of a healthy organization. We've only covered one. So, But before we leave this one, um, anything else about healthy cohesive leadership team you want to say? I just want to say this. I'm glad you asked the question because everybody can say, you have a healthy organization and it sounds soft, like, oh, have a good culture. But then you said, but what does that take? These are disciplines. These yeah. are actions that we have to take regularly. And so it's not just a nice word. When we talk about a cohesive team, cohesive teams do certain things and healthy organizations do certain things. Yeah. And we've covered the first discipline. And next time, I guess we're going to talk about the other three. We're going to get very specific. At the top of the program, I mentioned Pat's brand new book, The Six Types of Working Genius. I highly recommend you check out the book and go to workinggenius.com. That's workinggenius.com, where you'll be able to take an assessment to determine your working genius and how to use this extraordinary tool with your entire team. And as always, make sure you visit the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast application guide to go with today's content. As always, thanks for listening and make sure you join us next month on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast where we will conclude this important conversation with our friend Patrick Lencioni.